Welcome to the live stream, Arizona. Hi, Leonard. Frigid Wednesday evening. It's cold outside. Is it too warm for you, Jim? <laughs> if I got off, then it's not you. <laughs> and after music, right? Yeah. I know I asked a bazillion times. Yeah. After music. Yeah. Now. Only during Sunday school, we don't turn off. Sunday schools. Yeah. When the camera's going, that's all. <coughs> well, a big howdy to anybody out there online. Howdy. Hola. I don't, it'd be nice if it was, you know, in the old days, back before YouTube became communist, we'd go on live stream and I could actually see who was on. That was nice, but uh, not so. We're not complaining though. We're very thankful for having an alternative. Amen. <clears throat> All right. As you can see, we're going to be in uh, Micah, one of the minor prophets. Not because he's not important, but because it's a smaller book. And I don't I was wondering why this wasn't working, it's because it didn't put the thing in. There we go. In the praise book, turn to page 22. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Psalm 119, 105.
Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Becky. Yeah, I love when it's the King James Version and it's not some twisted version of it that they're singing. Amen. That's one of the problems we have with buying the kids' videos where the kids are singing. They'll put those NIV songs in there and stuff. Mm -hmm. like, don't that get stuck in my head. So, uh, Sister Becky Beamer says we're coming in loud and clear. That's good to know. Page 36, God's unchanging hand. <clears throat> Time is filled with swift transitions. No other thunder can stand. Amen. Amen. All right. 
Let's sing one more. What a day that will be.
can set it up down there. Give me a sec to get you focused. I'm gonna guess just nobody turned it on. Raise your hand if you'd like for Janie to give you a prayer card. Onliners, you can send your request into beatmeuponhio@protonmail.com. We go off live stream. We always check those, uh, check in the email for those. In the house, silence your cell phone ring. set up. Oh, I don't have everything set up, do I, Johnny? Is your mic on? Yes. Send Who besides Jim has to work outdoors? Charlie, of course. Yeah, Mary, you're out. John's out. Oh, yeah. I just wanted the rest of you to realize you got it good. <laughs> and if you don't understand how good you got it this time of year, then just talk to Jim or John or Mary, and I'm sure they can fill you in. Jim does have a really good... Can you hear me back there? Did it turn on? All right. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, Jim was reminding me. I've heard that before, but um, he puts Vaseline on his face, oh, wow. and uh, it helps to uh, avoid frostbite. <laughs> and uh, so your, your, your nose is probably the most vulnerable. And the bigger the nose, the bigger the vulnerabilities. <laughs> All right, well... Um, We'll be getting into our opening study of Micah in just a moment, but hold your questions and comments first to the end of the Pyramids Update. Israel at War, 117.24, just for future reference, if you're watching this, 136 hostages are still being held by Hamas, although um, they said that they think two are dead, so I think they're going to shrink that number down, I, I believe, but... Um, we talked about that Sunday, the two that were uh, are believed to be been killed. 103 days since the October 7th uh, wow. attacks, and uh, 1,200 died, 136 hostages. That's just from the October 7 uh, totals. 13,340 are uh, the wounded that they've counted so far. The latest big news was that um, the IDF just released today that the IDF, they can't confirm the cause of death of three hostages found in the Hamas tunnel. So that's why I said I think that number is going to come down some because that would be a total of five dead in addition um, to the others that have been killed. 
So we'll get more information about that. I also, um, on another report, they uh, believe there was about 150 miles of tunnels. Now they say there's 300 miles of tunnels. That's pretty just wild. They're blowing them up and doing things they can to destroy the system uh, under Gaza. Um, just a little while ago, the reports were coming out that Israel um, killed two Palestinians in the West Bank, a militant in an army raid, and a teenage gunman. But uh, I thought that was the same report, but it's actually a different report. But watch how they're reporting this. West In the West Bank, there was a Hamas leader that was killed in addition to that report. And listen to the spin. Just the, They don't outright lie. But let me see, test your discernment here, what you're about to hear. Israel says it has eliminated what it calls a terrorist cell in an airstrike on the Balata refugee camp in the occupied West Bank. This footage, released by the Israeli military, shows the attack, which targeted a car moving through the camp in the city of Nablus. Amateur footage posted on social media shows the vehicle on fire. Israel says the leader of a Palestinian terror network was inside the car. It claims the group was planning an imminent terrorist attack. Meanwhile, Qatar says it has brokered a deal between Israel and Hamas for the delivery of humanitarian aid and medication to civilians inside Gaza. Now, this would include Israelis who are being held captive by Hamas, which is considered a terrorist organization by many countries. Hamas is considered a terrorist organization by many countries. Any, any uh, civilized country is how they should say. If you don't consider Hamas a terrorist uh, organization, then you're not a civilized country, which means you're a fundamentalist Muslim. What they call fundamentalist Muslim is just true followers of, of Muhammad who are doing what Muhammad would do, WWMD. <laughs> yeah, that's about where my brain went. Hmm. Number two, then we'll move on to globalists who don't like what they're saying right now here in the United States. You troublemakers are really mm -hmm. giving them fits. This is a headline from Breitbart. Let me blow that up there for you. Globalist freakout at Davos. Davos contains. Davos is where the World Economic Forum is meeting, where they can plan and plot their uh, attempt to take over national governments and form a one-world government. That's what their whole agenda is. And they're not liking what's going on. Uh, BlackRock is a name of an organization you need to remember. They serve the Antichrist. And the BlackRock chief warns Davos elites, Trump victory poses fundamental challenge to Europe. Let's be clear. It's a challenge to the European Union, which is run by globalist one world elitists. Not to Europe as far as the people. It's freedom for them. So that you have to always interpret the uh, headlines in light of scripture and what we know to be true. This is my favorite headline that came out of the World Economic Forum um, headlines. China, Donald Trump's likely return to power is a threat to the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With his face, that's just great. <laughs> when China said that. China said that, yeah. Uh -huh. So for the next 10 months, 
they being the Marxist Democrats, will soften their approach in order to win the much-minded, dense independence. Now, I consider myself an independent. Don't think I'm just knocking independence. Be, always be careful to read all the words and listen to all the words. Mm -hmm. Among independents, there is a large number of mush-minded, dense people. Why, why do I say that? If you don't know the difference between Joe Biden and the other guy, and the difference between a Marxist and a capitalist, the difference between a baby killer and someone who appointed judges to overturn Roe v. Wade, the difference between a gun-confiscating Marxist and someone who has stood firm for the Second Amendment right to bear arms. If you can't tell the difference, and I could go on and on with evil Joe Biden and good, not in a pure sense, but good by comparison, certainly good in comparison to your constitution on the other side. If you don't have the brains to know the difference, and you're still riding the fence and saying, I don't know who I'm going to vote for. You are absolutely stupid. Amen. That's exactly there is no other word for someone who's that dumb or evil. I'll leave it up to you to decide those dense, mush-minded people in your life, whether they're dumb or evil. The Bible word is simple. So let's call them simple or evil. That's where they are. I've had somebody say, well, I don't, so and so, and they don't, they're, and they don't, they're not going to vote for uh, Trump. And they, they, I said, are they voting for the other guy? And if they say no, I say, well, that's, a whole, that's their choice. If they can't vote for him, that's their business. But if they vote for Joe Biden, I don't care if it's your mother. She's either dumb or evil. Yep. Amen. And I'll stand toe-to-toe -to, -toe to anybody who wants to debate me on that. Biblically, you don't believe the Bible if you don't believe what I just said is true. Amen. The Bible is clear, folks. There is good and there is evil. Joe Biden is evil. Amen. The Democrat Marxist death cult is evil. Amen. You want to vote independent, libertarian, whatever, go right ahead. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just telling you, if you don't have enough sense to know you as a Christian can't vote for a baby-killing, gun-confiscating, senile, reprobate Marxist, you've got a problem here and here. This globalist leftist named Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan demonstrating the pitch that you're going to hear over the next 10 months. People are growing. They're hungry to grow. They're innovating. It's, it's everywhere. It's not just Silicon Valley. So we've got this great hand. But when people say MAGA, they're actually looking at people voting for Trump and they think they're voting and they're basically scapegoating them that you are like him. Uh, and but I don't think they're voting for Trump because his family values. Now, if you look, just take a step back, be honest. He's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. Mm -hmm. He grew the economy quite well. China, China ta virus. Tax reform worked. Yeah. He was right about some of China. I don't, th I don't like what he did. Oh, I said China virus. Yeah, I understand. He, he, yeah. he may have been right. He, he, and I don't like how he said things about Mexico. I don't like. But he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. And that's why they're voting for him. And, and I think people should be a little more respectful of our fellow citizens. And when you guys have people up here, you should always ask the why. 
not like it's a binary thing. You're supporting right. Trump. You're not supporting Trump. Why are you supporting Trump? It's hard to Trump? hate 75 million of your fellow Americans. It's, I, I agree. It's done and, you know, the Democrats have done a pretty good job with the deplorables, not hugging onto their Bibles and their beer and their guns. I mean, really, like, can we just stop that stuff and actually grow up and treat other people with respect and listen to them a little bit? And, and I do think the economy will affect. And I think this, this negative talk about MAGA is going to hurt Biden's election campaign. Now, I, I get criticized from time to time for this, and I'm telling you, MAGA is not Donald Trump. Exactly. I mean, it is because he's standing there, but if he changes and stops supporting what is called MAGA, he'll be gone. Absolutely. They want to convince the world we're a bunch of mindless dupes who liked The Apprentice, and so we vote for Donald Trump. They say orange being good. Yeah, orange man, good. I don't like a lot about Donald Trump. I don't believe he's a Christian. But whoever has the guts to stand up for our Constitution gets my support. Amen. And don't be fooled by that. Soon as the election's over, to go right back to the way it was. That's right. Just look it up. You can find out. They realize that Senile Joe is running all but the true blue Marxists and assorted fruits and nuts away. He's down to, in some polls, his uh, approval rate is in the 30%. Who, is, who in the world are they? Exactly. True blue Marxists and fruits and nuts. Mm-hmm. That's who they are. Uh, the other 60-some percent of the people are either going to vote for uh, Trump, or they're going to vote third party, or whatever, and so they realize that, and so they're trying to get him to tone it down. And but he surrounded himself with the fruits and nuts, okay. and the people who write his speeches and giving him his cheat cheat sheets and cards and things to say, they're fruits and nuts. So they're telling him to stick to it and keep basically speaking out against Christians first and foremost. This is their agenda. We must arrest our opponents and make sure I am the only name on all ballots to protect democracy. <laughs> I mean, that's gaslighting, you know, but that's what, that's what their real agenda is. Thankfully, uh, again, I think it was in, was it Maine today, where their Supreme Court said that Trump will be on the ballot unless the U.S. Supreme Court throws him off. That's just like Colorado. Yeah. So he keeps winning on the state level, and I don't think there's any chance he's going to lose on the federal. But that's called gaslighting. That's what this is all about. And they'll and they will say something, and they don't mean it. They will accuse you of doing what they themselves are doing, projecting. That's their policy now. On top of that, there are public figures today, yesterday, and the day before, predicting and all but calling for mass violence and rioting in the streets. This is inflammatory. It's dangerous. It's against the rule of law. And we, the people, must say, this is not who we are. It isn't who we are. It's who you are, Joe Biden. It's who your party is, Joe Biden. They are the ones burning the towns down. BLM is Democrat. Antifa is Democrat. The FBI at the Fed's direction, Democrat. Democrat Marxist death cult. That's what they are. 
And that lying reprobate is a leading, or is leading, a Marxist death cult. You just, I have to say it over and over because it just doesn't seem like people are catching on to this. They still think the Democrat Party is the Democrat Party of Jimmy Carter. That was bad enough. Amen. What we have today is way worse. One of some comedian was saying that Jimmy Carter is now not the worst president. Yeah, he was saying that Jimmy Carter and, and Obama are both thankful for Joe Biden because now everybody's forgot about how bad they were. <laughs> While Democrats falsely accuse President Trump of instigating violence in the Capitol Hill riots, they seem to have conveniently forgotten about their own calls for violence over the years. In fact, senior members of the Democratic Party, including Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, Eric Holder, and even Joe Biden and Kamala Harris themselves, have all threatened violence in the past, especially against President Trump. While television personalities like Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo have not only condoned violence, celebrities like Madonna and Robert De Niro have actually threatened to physically harm President Trump and even blow up the White House. Rapper Snoop Dogg produced a video showing President Trump being assassinated, and a 2017 production of Shakespeare's Caesar depicted a character who looked exactly like President Trump being stabbed to death. Famously, actress Kathy Griffin even showed herself holding the bloody, decapitated head of President Trump, later claiming it was just a joke. Which raises the question, if someone held up Biden's decapitated head, would Democrats still be laughing? So, because leftists in the government and media hope you've forgotten, here are some clips over the years of Democrats directly and openly threatening President Trump's life. If you want to know what calls for violence look like, this is exactly what real calls for violence look like. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick them. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take you behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. Look, as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore 
anywhere. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution uh, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And there's a lot more than that. That was just the OAN version. That's gaslighting. They are calling for violence and then accusing you of being the one calling for violence. That's exactly right. I've never, I've never heard anybody, uh, any legitimate leader in the conservative movement, I haven't heard yet, call for violence. Not once. Amen. So we'll see if they can fool enough people and cheat enough to win coming in November. And real quick, uh, the HB 68 override vote is still ahead. Um, the Ohio House voted to override DeWine's veto of HB 68, which would protect children from uh, being mutilated and put on uh, chemical castrations and physical changes to their body, as well as protecting girls' sports so girls aren't having to change in front of boys or having boys run around naked in their uh, locker rooms and pretending to be girls and all that kind of insane Democrat Party nonsense. Right. And now it goes to the Ohio Senate. You can contact your state senator to ask for a vote uh, to override the veto. Go to OhioSenate.gov. Put your address down in the little box to find out who your representative is and then click the link and send them a message and uh, put some feet to your prayer. Be informed, pray, and act accordingly. Amen. <laughs> Start with Brian. Uh, you mentioned Jamie Dimon and the World Economic Forum. How appropriate. Because he is part of that crew, so yeah. don't be fooled. He talks out both sides of his mouth. Well, that's where he was when they interviewed him. Exactly. Yeah. And three years ago, he said that he could beat Donald Trump in a general election. So he's taking some of these policies that people tend to like, he may be loaning himself for a future run. Yeah. But the other thing about Davos and the World Economic Forum, it led zero heads this week. It said escort services in Davos are fully booked. So that tells you how evil all these people are. 100 miles. Yeah. 100 miles. Yes. Yeah. And they're not all straights. <laughs> Just to put it. Uh, who else? Do you have? Yes, Jessica. Um. You said about the contact the senator. Mm -hmm. I I believe I did. Should we do it again? Uh, once is good. Yeah, once is good. Um, yeah, and I'm, I think it's before, sometime before, or on January twenty fourth or twenty fifth is the last I heard is when the vote. So that's another week before the vote takes place. Jenny? What's this issue with some of them I've been, uh, been listening to on OAM and uh, American Voice that were dropping out? You're that's talking about, that's uh, the Congress uh, in the federal level. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the same. That's uh, just to make sure you understand, this is a state issue, it's the Columbus, yeah. uh, Ohio House. What Janie's talking about is, you're finding out who the rhinos are in the, uh, uh, the Congress in Washington, D.C., the Ohio House, 
there are members retiring so that the slight majority that the Republicans have will dwindle and, and, and they won't have a majority anymore. Yeah. And so that's the their way of showing their true colors, basically. And um, I, that's why I tell you, I didn't vote for the rhino governor we have. I didn't vote for the previous rhino governor we had. I didn't vote for previous uh, Republican rhinos running. I didn't vote for the Mormon, Mitt Mormony, or whatever the name is. <laughs> uh, uh, but not because Mormon. even he's a Mormon. It's because he's a rhino. I'm not going yeah. to vote for anybody who's not a true constitutional conservative. And, uh, and all the conservatives need to just take that stand, and the rhinos will stop using you. Which is all they've done for decades. Yeah. Um, that one guy who's in charge of J.P. Morgan, the... Uh, Jamie Dimon that he's talking about? Uh, yeah. yeah. The original J.P. Morgan killed all those people on the Titanic. Yeah. That's a, built that is, that's, a, that's a very interesting um, thing to look into. Um, I don't blame J.P. Morgan himself, though. We can't paint with a broom. There were a bunch of people involved in that. Oh, right, but so I just want to make yeah he he was involved I believe yeah that's a very interesting thing that you won't get on the uh, History Channel documentaries about the Titanic and certainly won't get it in the movie. <laughs> All right, well with that let's get on into our study with a word of prayer. Brother Brian, would you open the mind Heavenly Father, thank you for this time this evening. Thank you for these current event updates that. To us tonight, uh, you can definitely see Zobel's handiwork and all these things that are going on, Lord. And we want to pray against those things tonight yes. that uh, you will do whatever it takes to fulfill your will. Yes, and we support everything that, that you do, Lord, yes. in order to make that come about. And thank you, Lord, for these brothers and sisters that are going to be here with tonight. I have uh, been away, and I'm so thankful to be back in the presence of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, um, we look forward to hearing uh, the word that you have for us tonight, prepared by your servant Greg. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, we are in Micah chapter 1. Hopefully, you got your Bible open. So, I could have been mean, like some I've been in uh, preachers would get up and announce the book, and if it was uh, a minor prophet, he'd announced it early. He said, because some of you are going to need a few minutes to find it. <laughs> but uh, go to Matthew, which on our Bible reading calendar, we're starting tomorrow, Matthew chapter 1. And then it's just a few pages before that. Um, a few books before that, I should say. Micah chapter 1. We've titled it from the text, uh, the first few words of the book. The word of the Lord that came. And um, so that's where we get the title. We're going to just read the first seven verses tonight. I'll have you join me in the even verses. So I'll begin with verse one. The word of the Lord that came to Micah the Morastite in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, 
the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria as a heap of the field and as plantings of the vineyard, and I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof, and all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, and all the hires thereof shall be burned with the fire, and all the idols thereof will I lay desolate, for she gathered it of the hire of an harlot, and they shall return to the hire of an harlot. Amen? Amen. So we meet Micah, and we get right into his prophecy. We don't, we're not told a lot about him, and this is all we know about this Micah. There are other Micahs mentioned in the Bible, but this is the only place where we learn anything about this particular Micah, and that's in the introduction we'll see in a moment. Verse 1, there's two kingdom apostasies confronted and mentioned, but we start with the judgment on the north in verses 6 and 7. So the introduction there in verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah, he's called the Morastite. And um, a Morastite lived in Morisheth near Gath. Uh, and he's, so everybody's, oh, yeah, I'm, I know where that's at. You know. <laughs> uh, so I'll help you out because I needed help too. That's the big picture there, the, the land, the map of the, of the time of Micah. But you zoom in there and you see this blue over to your left is the Mediterranean. And then you'll see Samaria up at the top. So if you look back at the other map, uh, Samaria is right, you know, right there toward, it's not very far north. Um, but then you see Jerusalem, look where it's at. And that's the capitals of the uh, two kingdoms after they split. And then over here you'll see there's like three little red flags and that red flag to the left there's Gath. And then just south of that is where um, the city of uh, Morasheth near Gath is believed to have been. But it was a tiny little burg, if you want to call it that. A very small town he was from. Um, <clears throat> when was this? You know, your Bible doesn't, I mean, to put it this way, if your Bible has at the top the year such and such, that's not infallible information. That's man giving you a guesstimate most of the time. But we do get, have information that tells us pretty much, you know, you don't have to know the exact year even most of the time because if anything big is happening, we, we know from other references when that happened. He, he was a prophet in the days of the kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, hopefully, you at least are familiar with one name up there. Which one? Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Great king, great man. The only thing that ever bothered me about Hezekiah is that when 
God says that uh, uh, Babylon's going to come down and take all your grandkids and and go off and take them in captivity. And Hezekiah says, "Well, at least it won't happen while I'm alive." Yeah. <laughs> kind of cavalier in his attitude about it, yeah. But uh, and Ahaz was a very wicked king. Yeah, these were not uh, the previous kings before him uh, weren't great kings, but um, so it's also believed that Micah, like Isaiah, suffered persecution as he uh, prophesied. So you could say it's the best of times of Hezekiah, but even though it was bad before Hezekiah, the worst of times came after Hezekiah. And so that's the period of time we're talking about here with Micah. Of course, just a reminder, we have our charts out there. You go to bbfohio.com, resources and charts and maps. Just kind of scroll down, you'll see these. Kings of Israel, we have four charts. And you come to number three when you see Jotham, and Ahaz, um, and uh, they were they were around the time of the kings named uh, Pekah and Pekahiah. Wow. And you read in the kings in Second Kings, those were terrible people, terrible kings, and they came right before uh, Hosea, which was when then Assyria comes down and destroys the place. And you, you won't hear a lot about that in church. Uh, even, even when they study these books. Why? Because it was gruesome. It was what, what Assyria did to the prisoners was just gruesome. I'll tell you just enough to give you an idea. Trust me, I'm being very, uh, you know, um, nice or whatever you want to say. I'm, I'm being uh, discreet. Thank you. Um, they would take you and they would put a hook in your lip like you were a fish being caught. They would then take and put a chain on that hook and connect you to the guy in front of you. And they did that for everybody in the line. Why? Because if one of you started to fall behind or drift back, you'd get yanked with that hook. And if you fell, then you had quite a sore, if you know what I mean. It's a gruesome kind of thing to do to, the, to people. And they would pierce other parts of the body and do the same thing. I won't get into all that. They uh, Two things they're known for, and that's um, why we believe that the Native Americans that came across the Bering Strait and into our country today, they didn't come until about 900 AD. Forget what your textbooks and all the history channel all that are telling you. Um, it, was, it was about 900 when the Iroquois and the Blackfoot and all those come over. And now um, Nathaniel Jensen of Answers in Genesis and his research is proving it. And uh, it's very interesting stuff. If you go on Rumble and look up Nathaniel um, Jensen, spelled like Gene, J-E-A-N, son. Just look it up on Rumble. You can find it on YouTube if you're a communist, but if you want to use a non-communist site, go to Rumble. And uh, it's very good information. But before that, where did they come from? I believe that they're going to continue to confirm that they came from peoples like the Assyrians, and that's why they come over here. What they do? Skin people alive. Scalped people. Assyria was already doing that. They also 
initiated the use of crucifixion. And so uh, David in Psalm 22 said that the Messiah would have his hands and his feet pierced. There was no execution method for that. No one executed people that way. And you think, how would, how would that kill you? Piercing my hands and my feet? Well, we found out later how it killed you. Crucifixion. But it was about four or 500 years after David before it was ever even put in use. That's prophecy, people. <laughs> That's some serious prophecy right there. And uh, just amazing Bible prophecies that prove that he's the author. God is the author of that book. And then the fourth, or, or that's a, I zoomed it in there for you in case you couldn't see it. Then the fourth chart um, has Hezekiah, shows the year 716, and uh, I won't get into the specifics of those, but those are all available on, online. Get those um, charts. As we continue, verse 1, it says, it ends, verse 1 ends saying, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now there's several terms for each kingdom. You have to get used to this. After Solomon, his son Rehoboam became king and the kingdom of Israel was split in two. And all but three tribes went totally into the north. And then in the south you had Judah, which was the main tribe. The Levites they ended up all coming to the south because in the north, uh, Jehoshaphat set up a new religion yep. and didn't use the Levites. So they all, and then you had Benjamin. Jehoshaphat did that? The, huh? Who did that in the north? Jehoshaphat? The, the king that uh, split off from Rehoboam. Jeroboam? You mean Jeroboam. Jeroboam. Yeah, well, I thought Jehoshaphat was you the said big Jehoshaphat. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. Okay, anyway, It's sorry. probably on the map there I just looked at. That's fine, okay. Uh, that's Jeroboam yeah. II. So the north split off from the south, yeah. and the three kingdom, the three tribes were in the south. Yeah. And so you have the three, those three tribes, basically, in the south, Judah being the main one. And so uh, you, you get used to hearing north and south. It's kind of weird, but the north was called Israel. And the south was called Judah. That was kind of confusing to me because it's Israel. Israel's Israel, right? And there's times where the south is also called Israel. Kind of gives you some uh, confusion there. But if you just take care of the context, you won't get lost. But a lot of times God will also just refer to the north as Samaria because that was their capital. And in the south, instead of calling it the kingdom of Judah, he would call he just refer to Jerusalem. So that's talking about the north and the south. Yeah, and that's Samaria is the north and Jerusalem is the south. And that's the focus of Micah's prophecy as we continue. He lived in the south, as we showed you, um, but we'll also denounce the north. He lived about the same time as the prophet Isaiah, as I, I mentioned earlier. And there's some similarity between those two books, and some have even called Micah a mini-Isaiah because of the similarities. You want to look at one. Keep your finger there, Micah. But look at Isaiah chapter 2. And uh, we probably covered this about a year and a half, two years ago in Sunday school. Isaiah chapter 2. 
And I'm, we'll just read this and then keep this in mind as you're reading through Micah. You'll see the gist of it. Uh, verse 1 uh, says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Um, verse 2 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow in it. That's talking about the second coming, right? Now read verse 3 with me. And many people shall come and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Keep that in mind, because that's going to be Micah's kind of positive close. He's going to say a lot of negative things. There's a lot of judgment. But the gist of Isaiah's message wasn't just or even mostly about judgment. It was, if you would follow God and follow the law, you would have it all. And there's coming a day when Israel will. And that's the same kind of message you're going to see out of Micah. Matthew Henry said, quote, To convince sinners of their sins... By setting them in order before them. This is Micah's ministry. Charging both Israel and Judah with idolatry, covetousness, oppression, contempt of the word of God. Kind of sounds like our country. And their rulers especially. And he's talking about the good guys. The good rulers. They didn't despise the bad guys. Doesn't that sound familiar? Um, uh, both, he says, in church and state. He means the religious and the... Uh, secular, um, with the abuse of their power, we could talk about that right now in our country, and also by showing them the judgments of God ready to break in upon them for their sins. Just today, just today, uh, I informed about a dozen sodomites that judgment's coming. If they'd repent, God would save them. And what do you think they did in response? Spit at you. Mocked. Not me. Mocked Jesus. Called him the J-man. And then one of them pretended to be a Christian. And he started referring to the J-man. Saying that the J-man will forgive you if you'll repent, telling me that. I told them that the J-man that they're talking about isn't the Jesus of the Bible. It's a damned devil. And a lot of people worship a false Jesus who is nothing but a damned devil. Literally. Literally. There's only one holy Jesus, and if your Jesus isn't the biblical Jesus, your Jesus is a damned devil. So, I just want to point this out before we get jump in for the next few minutes. There are three main divisions in Micah, and it's God made it real easy on us here. When you see Micah say, here. Here. I miss my grandpa, my grandpa Jordan. We always knew when he was serious, because he'd say, here now. <laughs> here now. 
we'd be getting into something we shouldn't. Here now. That's kind of like Micah. And uh, we'll see as we start verse 2. Look at verse 2. Hear, all you people. We'll come to chapter 3, verse 1. It'll say, and I said, hear. <laughs> and in chapter 6, verse 1. Hear ye now. And those are just happen to be three different uh, divisions, the three divisions of this book. So uh, you can write that down if you want, but keep it up here. You know, some of you don't need notes. I know you don't need notes. You got it all over here. <laughs> but he talks about um, in the next few verses, we're going to see the two kingdom apostasy that is the main point of this book, beginning in verse 2. I uh, just got to say this our holy God must punish sin. Yeah. Every book of the Bible, in one way or another, really lays that out. God is holy. He must punish sin. Uh, look at verse 2. Hear all you people. Hearken, O earth, and all that then therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. And that's just it. The holy God must punish sin. Do you accept the punishment Jesus suffered for you, which was more than the beatings, more than the crown of thorns, more than the pierced hands and feet, more than the sword in the side? He took upon him the sin of the whole world. Amen. The holy God in human flesh who had never known sin, that in and of itself is beyond our comprehension of what he suffered. Amen. And God poured out his wrath of all that sin upon Jesus. Now, say something. He didn't go to hell and suffer. The Bible never says he went to hell and suffered. What it does say is that he took upon him the punishment of our sin took upon him all of our sin in doing so, and fulfilled that requirement, God was satisfied with that. On the cross. Will you accept the punishment Jesus suffered for you, or do you choose to suffer yourself forever? That's the question. Hell is a hard pill to swallow. But when you just look at the bare facts... God has made a way for you to have forgiveness of sin and be totally forgiven. And he just says, but if you reject that, you'll get what you want. You have made the choice to go to hell. You have made the choice to stand naked before a great white throne and be condemned by your works and to be cast into an everlasting lake of fire. And it makes sense, even though it's hard really to grasp. It's legally sensible. Logically, it's sensible. sensible. And that's the choice that we present to the world. Stop milk-toasting the gospel for people if you're doing that. Too many people today try to make it palatable. You know, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, right? That may be a cute song, but that's not Bible. Amen. 
The gospel is supposed to either bring a person to a full knowledge of their sin in repentance to their knees or offend them. And if you preach the gospel and it doesn't offend them, you're not doing it right. Amen. The Bible's clear over and over. The gospel will offend if it's preached properly unless that person repents. And this generation is blowing it big time. The gazillions of millions that are being spent on TV preachers and all that, and you rarely hear an offensive gospel preached. And then you have the whole antinomian, hyper-dispensational crowd that says, oh, we don't need to repent. We just have to believe that Jesus died for our sins. Palatable. Making it easier to swallow. They're swallowing poison pills, Mm -hmm. not gospel pills. Amen. That's what's going on. Mm -hmm. Micah begins his prophecy by warning of the end time judgment on all sinners who have rejected him. Amen. False teachers then misconstrue these verses. Look at it. There in verses 3 and 4. It says, For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains shall be molten under him. Does that, what does this sound like to you? Is that bringing Revelation 19 to mind, maybe? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And the valley shall be cleft as wax before the fire. Peter talked about everything, the elements melting <laughs> with fervent heat. There's just some of the things that come to mind when I read this. And as the waters that are poured down a steep place, which means it just cuts through everything, like it did during the flood. Now, false teachers pretend that this was fulfilled uh, when the rest of Micah's prophecies were fulfilled. And that's not the message here. Amen. That's not what's being said. He's basically saying, listen, the Lord is going to judge sin and he's going to do it completely. And then he'll change the context. But obviously this has never been literally fulfilled. So what happens? The false teachers say that just as these past prophecies were hyperbolic. (laughs) I like that word, but I don't like the way they use it. Uh, Metaphorical. I had a guy, again, this happened today. Some guy basically tried to rebuke me for because I take the Bible literally. He said that viewing the Bible the way I do, it's madness. And it <laughs> destroys the allegorical method. Thank you. Okay. I, I certainly set out to destroy the allegorical method. Yeah, Amen. I mean, the Bible is to be interpreted literally unless it's telling you not to interpret it literally. It's like me. I can tell you, I am really hungry. You should take that. Jenny takes that literally, and she'll have food ready, you know, as soon as ASAP. I'm just telling you, I'm a little spoiled. All I got to do is say I'm hungry. But when I look at her and say, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. She doesn't run across the street and kill my neighbor's horse. (laughs) She understands that that's hyperbole. Yes. That's metaphorical, or whatever you want to call that. Yeah. English teacher over there, probably correct me, but I'm not being literal when I say I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. I'm not asking her to go kill the neighbor's horse. The Bible is really that simple. 
It's clear when the Bible is telling you not to, uh, you know, interpret something literally. And when it's clearly not telling you to make it symbolic, then it's to be taken literally. And that's how simple it is. We're to take the entire book of Revelation, according to the false teachers, as being fulfilled in 70 A.D. And not literally, but metaphorically. Because I'll point at things, I'll say, well, when did that happen in 70 A.D.? Well, you have to understand the apocalyptic genre. And the, you know, it's, just, it's madness. Have you, how many of you ever sat down and tried to read a book of uh, on the book of Re a book on the book of Revelation from an amillennial perspective? You try it, it's stupid. It will make you think you've lost your mind. You'll be mind. like, "There's no way anybody was serious when they wrote this." Right. And what's comparable? Go read the Jehovah's Witness commentary on the book of Revelation. It's more stupid. But to me, they're in the both in the same boat. It's more stupid than Catholicism, really? Actually, it is. Because you see, the good cults make it more believable. Okay. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you one of the seals was fulfilled when the president of the Watchtower gave a speech at Cedar Point. <laughs> Seriously. So, and that's what I'm telling you. I'm not telling you to waste your time reading those books, but if you want to and experience. The, you know, as close to a self-induced brain aneurysm you can ever experience, then uh, go read these things. But back to reality. Verses 3 and 4 will happen. That's, it's going to happen. It's not to be taken and thrown out as some kind of allegorical nonsense. In the meantime, uh, it's uh, Samaria and Jerusalem here in verse 5. For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? Again, who's Jacob? Israel. Renamed Israel. If you've been reading, uh, if you haven't been reading along with us, then you're not reading through the Bible. Join us, because you'll find you'll understand the Bible a whole lot better if you read through the Bible at least once a year, once every two years. If you, you know, some people have trouble, especially at first, but at least do it, even if it takes you two or three years. Amen. And the Amen. more you do it, the more often you do it, you're gonna these things are gonna jump out at you. Amen. Amen. And what are the high places of Judah? Judah's the what kingdom? Southern. And it says, are they not Jerusalem? What is Jerusalem? The capital city of the southern kingdom. See that? And why does he say that? Because in Samaria and in Jerusalem, when he is prophesying, it's filled with idolatry and sexual licentiousness. Yep. And intermingled. They were having sexual orgies as part of their religious acts and worship. That's what's going on. The capital cities of the northern and southern kingdoms. Micah's prophecy begins with the north. That's why we're cutting it off there, verse 7. Um, because the north was further into apostasy. And if you just know your history, the north would be judged first. Yep. Assyria comes down 722 to 707 right in there totally destroys the northern kingdom it'll be about 606 to 586 when Nebuchadnezzar then comes down now Assyria did attack the south but God didn't let them destroy it yet you can thank Hezekiah I believe and his leadership for that but uh, later then God allows Nebuchadnezzar to come down and destroy the south 
But right now, he's going to pronounce the judgment on the north. And that's where we close here in uh, verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, read that again with me. Therefore, I will make Samaria as a heap of the field and as plantings of a vineyard. And I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. And that really just sounds like a, like the result of something like the Johnstown flood. <laughs> if you've never seen the documentary or read the book by David McCauley, I, I recommend it. It's a great read and, and very interesting. It's a major event in American history that most Americans don't know anything about. David yeah. McCullough wrote the book because he was so shocked that this thing happened and he hadn't learned about it before. Yeah. And what do you have? That's a great description of what it looked like after, I don't know, how many was it? Like, uh, how many people, you, you seem to be familiar, so I'm hoping maybe your memory is better than mine on this. I can't remember how many people. you, you Two thousand. Was it a couple thousand? There were several thousand people back. Oh, I mean, dozens of whole families wiped out just like that. They misused the money to fix the dam. Like our infrastructure across yeah. this country right now. Right. Since in New Orleans. Johnstown. Johnstown. Yep. So it, it also is sort of like the results of a nuclear bomb. <laughs> Look, if you see this, it, that's what, from the archaeological discoveries and everything, that's what they believe Samaria looked like. Beautiful. That was like white ivory. Oh, they said the, when the sun was hitting it, how many of you had to drive into the sun going home tonight? Uh, we were actually driving in uh, when the sun was at our back. And I've told her a number of times, I'm so glad the sun's in our back when I'm driving you know, in here because it's so bright certain times of the year especially. And they said the sun would reflect off that so bright that people would walk into town sh sh like this. You know, we would, they didn't have shades back then, you know, put the sunglasses on. But it went from that to this. Wow. Just leveled. Knocked everything down, anything that had anything worth anything. They took, just destroyed the place. It's over 2,000 people, 2,200. She's talking about the Johnstown flood. Yeah. And, and when you see the pictures, they've got pictures in David McCullough's book and in that documentary by PBS, I think it was. PBS has done some decent documentaries, especially when they were done 20 years ago. Yeah. But uh, they had pictures that describes what I remember seeing in the pictures. And it's like that. So verse 7 then says, And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces. Amen. Praise the Lord. And all the hires thereof shall be burned with fire. What's that mean? All the hires. It's the gifts that were given to prostitutes. Yeah. Remember Judah? Mm -hmm. Who the oh, southern kingdom so is named after. Yeah. And he ends up thinking he's going to be with the harlot. It ends up being his daughter-in-law. Who had married uh, like Ur and Onan. And they had died. And they were wicked. And so she was promised the third son, Shelah. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> Judah's like, okay, I gave her the first two, and they're dead. <laughs> and so he says, go home for a little while when Shelah grows up. And he never did give Shelah to Tamar. So Tamar pretends to be a hooker, and Judah 
wasn't a really good guy. I mean, he was a decent guy, but he, you know, and so he goes into her. What'd she do? She took something for hire. What was that? A goat? And he didn't have it on him, so she says, well, um, give me your signet, your bracelet, your staff, and then uh, when you bring the goat, I'll trade him. And then just to complete the story here, he gets, she gets pregnant by him, and someone tells him, and what's he, he's like, well, what a wicked thing for her to have sex outside of marriage and get pregnant like that. Bring her here so we can burn her. Stone her. Burn her. Oh, literally. Burn her. And then they bring her in, and she says, take this things, these things of Judah and say, whose are these? That's who the father of my baby is, and it was his stuff. Then all of a sudden he gets humble. Kind of reminds you of, what's his name, Jimmy Diamond? Jamie Diamond? You know, it just, I don't know what it reminds me of that. All of a sudden he got nice, because he's getting beat. And uh, Judah, he's like, oh, she has been more righteous than I. Well, that was true. He kind of seemed sincere and everything. Got that all straightened out. That's what it means when it says, the gifts that were given to prostitutes, the hires thereof, shall be burned with the fire. You may make some money, and I say this, and I get in trouble, I don't care. I'm going to keep preaching because it's true. You are supposed to ask Believers believe God. You're supposed to be a part of a local church fellowship, and if you can't attend one, then you join one online. We're, we welcome you here, but if you find another Bible-believing church, power to you. But no matter where you are, you are supposed to give a certain amount of your income to support the Lord's work. And you can keep that money and buy the crap that you fill your closets and your garage and your attic and everything with, and you know what's going to happen to it in the end? It's going to burn. And you are going to lose reward because you could have funded God's work. Instead, you funded your belly. And right now, I just know too many preachers that can tell me the same story that I know there are going to be a lot of Christians who are just going to watch everything burn. Lose reward. And God compares that kind of thing to the money and gifts given to hookers. Prostitutes, Christians, not supporting his work and using that money for the lust of the flesh. You might as well send that check to a hooker in God's eyes. For she gathered it of the hire of an harlot, she being Assyria in this case, who was paid by Israel like a man hires a prostitute. You kind of think of Judah, the man, Paying the prostitute. That's the way Judah, the kingdom, and in this case, Samaria, the northern kingdom, paying off Assyria. And what's, it's just, got to, got to get moving. I've talked too much, but it says, and they shall return to the higher and harlot. Israel's pay for protection just went to fund Assyrian idolatry. God never told them to do that, but that's what they did. Instead of turning to God and trusting Him, Israel paid off Assyria like the higher of an harlot. Like they were hiring a prostitute. Real quick, I know we're going over a little bit, but go to 2 Kings. This won't take long. 2 Kings 5.20. 2 
2 Kings 5.20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master uh, hath spared Naaman, this Syrian, is not receiving in his hands that which he brought, but as the Lord liveth, I will run after him. And wait a minute, I, I, I mean, is that that's not the right? Oh, I blew it. That's a similar thing, but that's not the one I'm looking for. Oh, and it's so good. So there's a passage about in Second Kings about uh, Israel hiring for the Lord to make the host of the Syrians. About 1520? Men have exacted the money of Israel. You have all the money men of wealth. 15? Yeah, 1520. It's Menahem. Menahem. Yes. Thank you again. That's twice in one night, Jenny. Jenny almost saved me. First Kings, or Second Kings 15. This has happened when I've already gone over a little bit. But look at that now. 2 Kings 15.20 And Menahem exacted the money of Israel, even of all the mighty men of wealth, of each man 50 shekels of silver, to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and stayed not there in the land. So it worked. Right? Yeah. I mean... Most Americans, that's how they think. It's pragmatism, and they'd be like, oh, that's great policy. Kill the babies so we don't have to feed them. Yeah, that's how Americans think. Yeah. It worked until it didn't. Nine verses later. Oh, Jenny, you're not even looking. I knew you'd like that. Since you already saved me twice, I'll make yourself. All right, look at verse 29. In the days of Pekah, remember I told you the bad guy, king of Israel came Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and took Ijon, and Abel-Beth-Meachah, and Genoa, and Kedesh, and Hazor, and Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and did what? Didn't work really, did it? No. Bottom line is we close. Do things God's way or the hard way. That's it. You, you, how many have you, I'm, pre, you know, I've done it myself. You could do things God's way, but then you choose to do it your way and it ends up being the hard way. Amen. So many examples we could give of that. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this uh, little book, power-packed, so much in it. 
Thank you for helping us to understand it and helping me to prepare and even making some typos and things. We still get a pretty good picture out of the first seven verses. We want to learn by the examples, including the bad ones, learn not to do those things. Lord, we pray for our own country, though, as we see the reflection. It's like a mirror looking at apostasy in the northern kingdom and seeing what's happening in America today. We love our country, but we know that it's deserving of judgment. We thank you for your long-suffering and mercy. And of course, we pray that we would never be a part of the problem and always be part of the solution. Faithfully living according to your word and preaching the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's stand and close in a song. The Lord bless thee. BBFOhioProtonMail.com. Everyone on three, say uh, goodbye to the onliners. One, two, three. See you here, there, and in the air. Goodbye to the onliners.